When I was a teenager, the Rosh Hashanah tape was the first thing I'd show any new girlfriend. It was a primer on my family that I felt they would need to see in order to best understand me. In showing them the tape, it was like I wanted to make them understand that no matter how messed up I was, all things considered, I really could have been a lot worse. It's been about 10 years since I've looked at the tape. Are you filming me? Yeah. Johnny, put that away, come yeah. on. The night begins with a feeling of expectation, everyone preparing for the big night. My mother clears stacks of laundry off the dining room table. With a great show of ceremony, she and my father move the plastic-covered red velvet couch away from the wall and pull out the extra dining room table leaves from behind it. We'd only use the table twice a year. You all the way? Later in the evening, people start to arrive. When I'd show this to girlfriends, I would freeze frame on each of the cast and explain a bit about them. This is my Uncle Lou, I'd say. On the night of his mother's death, he ate an entire brisket, so great was his grief. Hi, kid. Say hi. Don't give me a close-up because my eyes are too ugly in a close-up. Placing the camera up to my eye and squinting into it like that felt good. The way it covered up my face like a mask and stuffed the whole Yiddish circus of my family into a tidy, manageable little frame that I could fade in and out at will. The camera has everything on it. Everything. I am. Has it got a stand, too? You named the one thing it doesn't have. Early on in the night, I filmed my mother in the kitchen. She dances around and sings for the camera while preparing dinner. My grandmother walks in at one point and asks her where the Kleenex is, and my mother tells her to use toilet paper. No, go use toilet paper. You don't mean anything. In our house, whether you were blowing your nose, mopping up spilled pea soup, or bandaging a head injury, it was toilet paper. As a kid, I was embarrassed by this. Toilet paper. It sounded so personal, and pulling it out of my lunch bag to use as a napkin in the high school cafeteria brought just enough of my family bathroom to the table to make those around me lose their appetite. My mother singing and dancing around the house was another point of embarrassment for me as a kid. I felt like watching her sing Let's Get Physical while cooking pancakes was a mild form of child abuse. Watching her now on the tape, I realized she was singing not because she was crazy, but because she was actually happy. Both her parents were still alive, so she'd let herself act like someone's little kid sometimes. I haven't seen her sing like that in years. The presence of the video camera puts my great aunt Simi in a time capsule kind of mood. She decides to tell this story about her son for posterity. So my father helps her shout the table down. When Jeffrey was four years old, we went downtown. And we were caught in the rain waiting for the bus. So there was a Reitman store on St. Lawrence and St. Catherine with a little hallway, so we went in to wait. And there was display in the windows of the ladies' laundry and the night, you know, everything. He looks in the window, and there's men and women shielding themselves from the rain. Mommy, what's that? I take a look and I give his hand a jerk. I say, nothing. Oh, you know, you know, you have it in your drawer. Oh, Guess what it was? A pair of falsies. Oh, is that something else? <laughs> when I was a teenager, right here is where I'd pause the tape. I would freeze frame the image of my great aunt Simmy, mouth open, just about to pop in an olive. With that as my backdrop, I would tell the story of how, when I was a child, Simmy would command me to pinch her buttocks. You can't pinch it, she'd cry, and that is because it is too tight. Go ahead. Keep trying. Keep trying, she'd continue, her face all clenched like a fist, 
all determined to make her buttocks as hard as a cantaloupe. In her slippery, skin-tight polyester slacks, trying to get a piece of my aunt's ass was as elusive as pinching a helium-filled balloon. Now, watching the tape with friends a half-generation later, I'm not gonna lie to you, that story still kills. Incidentally, I should also say that Simi was the first person who ever really felt me up. Bored at my Uncle Harry Shiva house, she decided to check and see what was in the front pockets of my pants. She uncovered gum wrappers, old movie stubs, and a surprising amount of toilet paper, which she emptied out onto the kitchen table in three glorious scoops that I later referred to as my real bar mitzvah. Who made this marble case? Lisa's brother-in-law's This is excellent. I should probably also tell you that the entire Rosh Hashanah meal is consumed in 15 minutes flat. I mean the whole thing. The gefilte fish entree, the salad, the handmade coleslaw, the bean and barley soup, and the main course. 15 minutes. I remember the TV was on in the basement and Jeopardy had just started. By the time it was double Jeopardy, we were eating dessert. But then, paradoxically, dessert was something that lingered on and on. What these moon cookies? Who made these moon cookies? They're out of this world. My grandfather ate dessert alone in the basement so he could watch baseball. My grandfather was of the mind that no one up there listened to him anyway, so he pretty much stopped trying. He spoke through his actions. Random, outrageous, incomprehensible actions. Like if he was tired and wanted you to get out of his house, he would come out wearing just his boxer shorts and sit right down beside you on the couch. You would collect your things and you would leave. This next part of the tape, of him and me in the basement, I never made jokes about. I was so embarrassed by my inability to make simple man-to-man chit-chat with my grandfather that when screening the tape, I would often just fast forward through the whole scene because it pained me so. It was just around the whole Pete Rose gambling scandal. They showed him on the cover of Time, crying. That's what they call it, crying. Well, whatever it is. I'm sure he's very disappointed, actually, you know. This is what most of our conversations were like at the time. He would stare at the TV, and I would get all sweaty, trying my hardest to talk about anything I could think of that had to do with sports. Since I never watched them, nor did I play them, my talk revolved around the girlier aspects of sports. The scandals, the exorbitant pay raises, the poem I might have seen Muhammad Ali recite on the Mike Douglas show. And all the while, my grandfather just sat there. He was a legend. All of fame. Well, they can't, they can't omit him from that. That's up to the critics, I think. I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Watching the video all these years later, actually 13 years after my grandfather's death, I realize in retrospect that this was around the time he was diagnosed with leukemia. No wonder he didn't want to talk. No wonder he went to the basement. At the time, except for my grandmother, he had told no one. Those kinds of personal things weren't ever talked about in the open. When we all got together, we argued about where the best place to buy a roast chicken was, or what was on TV. Well, did you see her today, Oprah, about that? This no, guy had a big one, and that guy has a small one. No, no one gets to finish a story. Conversation is like this verbal game of murder ball, back and forth, everybody shouting over everybody else, nobody really listening to anybody. But it goes further than even that. Here's my mother and her aunt Simi sitting side by side on the living room couch with my grandmother all of them kind of staring off into space after the huge dinner. Then, suddenly, apropos to nothing, one of them starts singing White Christmas. Then the other one, as though sitting on a different couch in a different universe, as if the thought had just arrived from out of the blue, pipes up with the exact same song, never looking at the other, never acknowledging she's there. Just like the-
Let's not even get into the fact that one, they're singing a Christmas carol in the middle of September, and two, it also happens to be the holiest night on the Jewish calendar. What all this chaos leads to, the logical climax and consequence of the entire evening, is when, in the middle of dinner, my father gets it into his head that right now, at that very instant, he was going to fix the loose knob on the front door. The doorknob had been loose for years at this point, and why he decided to fix it just then, to this day, he cannot say. So my father goes downstairs into the garage to get his toolbox, which to be fair isn't actually a literal toolbox, but a plastic lunch pail, which contains a wrench, a pair of rusty pliers, a plastic 12-inch ruler, and a screwdriver. The camera casually pans past a wall of neatly stacked spare toilet paper on the garage shelves. My Uncle Lou decides to help. Get the book. Oh, these screwdrivers are No, that isn't the one I want. Well, I'll tighten the thing here. Now let me make this as clear as I can. When my father and Lou first started working on the doorknob, the time code in the corner of the video screen reads 627. They would only finish two and a half hours later, and almost all of which time my father spent on his knees, turning the doorknob screw around and around, for the most part, in the same continuous direction. Just a minute. Just taking pictures with the air. I'm gonna go down and get Johnny, please, excuse me. The other guests sing more songs, try on clothes, exchange recipes, take third and fourth helpings of dessert, and through all of it, my dad, turning and turning, like a Jewish Lady Macbeth, one who's abandoned murder for home repair. At some point, people start to funnel out the door to go home. Lou, good night. Good night. Mom, take care. Okay, take care. You're going. They shuffle around his kneeling body and say goodbye, like none of this is at all strange. Okay. My father does not look up, still hypnotized by the turning of the screw. When I try to tear him away from the job, he tells me he can't help it. It's an emergency. That's turning. That's turning. That's turning. So I thought this was the end of the whole thing. But having not seen the tape in over 10 years, I've forgotten that I also videoed the second night of Rosh Hashanah. So I keep watching, and then I see something that I have absolutely no memory of whatsoever. Sitting at the dining room table, sandwiched between my sister and grandmother, is this entire British family. Do you, do you brush it after you wash I it? I brush it and I put in big, big rollers. There's an older Englishman, well-groomed and proper, sitting there sipping wine and actually sporting an ascot. There's his wife, an animated woman who chain smokes Virginia Slims, and their daughter, a woman who actually tells anecdotes about current events and expresses genuine interest in my video making. Well, I know my father, what he did was he had a lot of eight millimeter, you know, old movies and from, from where I was, you know, where I was growing up. It's like they wandered off the set of a different home movie and into ours. And the strangest part of the whole thing is that everyone's acting like nothing unusual is going on. Do you drink tea or coffee? Tea. As well as drinking tea, we drink amaretto, and everyone is bumming cigarettes off the old British woman. All of a sudden, we're all having a grand time. Even my grandfather is. Instead of sitting in the basement, he's asking genial questions like, Who made this beautiful apple cake? Here. It turns out the British family were my Uncle Melvin's in-laws, who were in from out of town. The evening plays out like that old Disney movie, Song of the South. The British are what appear to be real, normal people. And my family are like the cartoon bluebirds fluttering around them, trying in earnest to keep them entertained. I use 
week last year I used to use 10 a day. I don't remember filming this, but I'm certain I identified with the normal people, not with the cartoon birds. I remember looking through the camera at my family and feeling like I was a million miles away, like I was looking into the large end of a telescope. It made me feel like less a part of them, like more of just an observer. But then there's one moment near the end of the night where I hand the video camera over to my grandmother, a total old country technophobe, so she could film me. Now you're filming me right now. You see? I have to close. <laughs> and when you want, when you want to stop it, you press the red button again. Okay, go. See? Yeah, move around a bit. So and there I am, moving around with my tapered pants, jelly bracelets, and long, moosed-up '80s hair, which, in retrospect, actually looked a lot like my mother's perm. Watching the video, I see the way my grandfather gritted his teeth when he stretched, or how he did this thing with his shoulders when he drank something that was too hot, and it's just the way I do it. Here I am comparing wrist size with my father. Look at this. It yeah. runs in the family. Put it around my wrist. Oh no, you got a very thick wrist. That's a thick wrist. I think on I think on mommy's side of the family we have thin wrists. I told you I got very thin wrists. Posed against the British family or any other family since, there's no question as to what family I belong to. He's yeah. funny, Jackie Mason. I'm not nuts about the show, though. Me neither. Chicken soup. Oh, yeah, it's good. But he's not Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason is better when he's spontaneous. You're right. What? That's true. When I say I don't yeah. like a program, I said to him, oh, I'm amazing. He's low with I like the ladies. mother. The mother. So she's on for five minutes. Well, what kind of couple is... Uh, well, it's well, supposed to be funny. Like, she's so tall and he's... Yeah, but no, who said that? Jackie Mason. Oh, Jackie Mason. Yeah, he uh, comes out with some stupid remarks. Well, well, the the, 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 the Italian fire him his, already. Uh, shouldn't uh, mix into a politics. But he does, and he talks too much. And then his show... The